0: First Kings chapter one, verse 28 through 37. Let's read. Then King David answered, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the Lord's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of adversity. As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so <clears throat> um, will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed before her. Her face before the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord, uh, the king David, live forever. King David said, Call to me, Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my mule and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok, the priest and Nathan, the prophet live there. Anoint him king over Israel, then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon you shall then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne and he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada answered the king. Amen. May the Lord, the God, my Lord of the king say so as the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we study this morning um, the first two chapters of 1 Kings, that you would help us see and understand the greatness of Christ, who is our our king. And as we study this entire book, looking at different kings um, throughout Israel and how some are good and some aren't, and how they lead the people, that we would see ultimately that King Jesus is the one who leads us. And, uh, so uh, help us now, Holy Spirit, teach us, um, help us see the text and understand the text, but more so, um, apply the text to our lives and understand how Christ is the hero of every, uh, verse of the Bible. We pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. So, um, can you turn the house lights up just a little, I feel like it's a little dark. Just roll that up a little bit, a little brighter. There we go. There we go. Now I can see you a little better. So um, now you can see your Bible. All right. So uh, I don't have much time to uh, review last week. So uh, if you weren't here last week, I, I did an introduction on First Kings. And all I did was verses 1 through 4. And then as we saw who David was, we went back... In First and Second Samuel and kind of got an idea of what's going on um, in First Kings, so you can you, you need to know who David was. So we looked at First and Second Samuel, got a big idea of who David was. We looked at some of the positive things about David's life or the highlights. We looked at some of the lowlights, um, but really First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings are kind of one big section helping us understand how the monarchy started in Israel. So if First Samuel's the building of the monarchy and Second Samuel's the arrival of the monarchy monarchy where we're picking up in first Kings begins the decline of the monarchy and second Kings is really the fall of the monarchy and that's that's really the the things that are going there's lots of applications that are going on in first Kings there's lots of things going on which we'll look at uh, but um, that's basically a, uh, a quick <clears throat> review of last week's sermon I would just encourage you to Go find it on Facebook or iTunes if you, if you want to uh, have a good understanding of who David is. I think it's helpful to understand <clears throat> who David is as we're going through this particular uh, text. Specifically, there's one major promise that, that was made to David uh, by God in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13-14, where he promises him that from him uh, would be the Messiah. This is the, the great promise that's made to David. And that's really the dominant kind of thing that's happening throughout First Kings. As you see the decline of the monarchy, you're left wondering what's going to happen to this amazing Messiah that's coming from David. Where is he going to be? And as everything happens and declines and, and goes down, we're just left wondering, but what about the Messiah? But what about the Messiah? Until, of course, Christ comes in Matthew. So, um, uh, well, in the Gospels. So, anyway, uh, what we're going to do now is look at a big picture question of in, in chapter one and two, because the big picture question for chapter one and two is who's the king? David's dying. David hasn't done a great job of of appointing someone. And so uh, in chapters one and two, the big question is who is the king? And as we look at each section, we'll see different things about the king. So you can go ahead and put up number one, who's the king's the big idea. Last week, which we looked at, we looked at a dying king and that's really all of last week's sermon. Uh, and I, I can't really... Say much more than what I've said because, because of time. So um, last week, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, uh, is about the dying King David. And you can see now King David was old and advanced in years. And all oh, they covered him with clothes. He couldn't get warm. They brought in Abishag, the Shunammite, to keep him warm. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the end of, of David's life. And, and 1 Kings begins with that. But as I said, we talked about that last week. I don't have much more time uh, as we talk about that. Now, verse 5, it says this. Now, Adonijah, the son of Hagith, this is one of David's wives, um, exalted himself, saying, I will be king, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking. This means that David had never really done a very good job of giving any, uh, providing any discipline towards uh, Adonijah at all. So Adonijah said, well, David's dying. So I'd like to be king. He's, he's the eldest of, of all David's sons. The first three had all, had all died at some point. Um, and so he's the fourth and... Fourth son, he's the eldest of all the sons, and so Adonijah says, "Well, I'd like to be king." So it says he exalted himself, saying, "I will be king." He prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men uh, to run before him. His father had never done anything by saying, "Why have you done thus and so?" He was also a very handsome man, and in Israel, this was a pretty big deal to ascend into the monarchy. Uh, You just had to be handsome. I'm not sure why, but uh, he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab. This is David's army man. Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abathar, the priest. So he's got David's army leader. He's got Abathar, the priest, uh, and they followed Adonijah and they helped him. So it looks like um, it looks like that Adonijah is going to set himself up to be the king. But Zadok, who's a different priest, and Benaiah, who's a different army man, were uh, son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet. Now notice, no prophet is with Adonijah, but, but Nathan's with uh, going to be eventually with Solomon. Uh, the prophet and Shimeon and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. The writers want us to make sure we see there's a priest. There's a, uh, the army guy. And Nathan the prophet, who, who by the way speaks for God. They're not with Adonijah. And then... Adonijah doing more stuff. He's, Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the serpent's slithering, or the serpent stone. It can also just mean slithering, um, which is beside Enrogel. But he invited all his brothers and the king's sons and all the royal officials of Judah. This sacrificing sheep is kind of setting yourself up as doing the things necessary to get the ball rolling to be king. So he's, he's doing the things that he thinks are necessary, but notice who he did not invite. The, the writers want us to see, but notice who did not invite. He didn't invite, he didn't invite Nathan, prophet spoke for god there's no prophet at this particular sacrifice and saying yeah god said you could be the king or Beniah or the mighty men and then all of a sudden the writer just says or solomon his brother now that's intentionally there as a literary device to make you say, wait a second, he didn't list him before, but now he is. Oh, and he's his brother. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not an army guy. So wait a second. Uh Uh-oh, there might be another guy that's going to be king. That's that's the little literary device that he's using. So uh, the second thing that we see is first we saw a dying king and now we see a self-appointed king. And so these are lessons against self-exaltation. This is what Adonijah does. Now, Adonijah, the son of Hagith, exalted himself. Now, Adonijah means um, Yahweh is my Lord. And as the eldest son, uh, you would think that he would be the one who would ascend to the throne because he is the eldest son. But uh, we know that's not the case. David was not the eldest son. He was the youngest of all the sons. And so these sons of David, just because they might be the eldest, don't necessarily uh, fall in line to be able to be the king. And so he, he is probably... When his name is Yahweh is my Lord, uh, probably not. Probably Yahweh is not his Lord. But he exalted himself. This is literally lifting himself up. And he's breaking <coughs> with the Israelite tradition of God choosing the king. Thus, uh, uh, until this time, God has been choosing king. Saul, you're the king. David, you're the king. And we even see in First Chronicles, I think it's 22, that at some point, David had had some kind of conversation with Nathan. To where Solomon was going to be king and God had had said Solomon was going to be king. And so Adonijah is breaking with this tradition of God choosing the king. And so literally he wants to exalt himself. And when he was doing this, you can see as it says, Adonijah was being selfish and self-exalting. Which is not something obviously that we should do. We should not exalt ourselves. Um, This writer is trying to key on the fact that Adonijah is not God's chosen one to be king. He is the eldest son. He is David's son. You might think that he's supposed to get it. But the writer is wanting us to see that he is not God's chosen one. And he does that by showing us he exalts himself. He exalts himself and makes himself look great. Um, what, what is true of him is he has a lust for power. He has a lust for praise. And as God tells us in Proverbs 6, God opposes the proud. And so... Um, the A part here was Adonijah was self, selfish and self-exalting. Where should Adonijah be right now? Rather than self-exalting, gathering together a little core of people to try to, uh, try to make himself king, making his sacrifices. Where should he be? He should be at his father's side as he's dying. His father is dying. Instead of being with David, his dad, in his last days, the king, he's maneuvering and trying to make himself king. As Tony Marita says, he was doing what he always did, thinking about himself. Lessons for us is obviously these, there's some so obviously just some moral things that we can learn from here, but the, the lesson for our, from ourselves is that we should not be like Adonijah. We should not try to make ourselves great because our job is to make Christ great. Now, another thing we see is that because David, especially in 2nd Samuel 13 through 20, Chapters 13 through 20 is a, a lack of hands-on parenting. Um, he withheld discipline. and uh, We discussed that already, that David's fathering in 2 Samuel 12 to 20 or 13 to 19 was lackluster. His, his father had never done anything that had displeased him. This can also mean interfered or crossed him, indicated that David neglected disciplining his children. Um, we shouldn't, we should not do that with our own children. It also says that he was a very handsome man. So like pastor Joe, uh, Adonijah was a very handsome man. I had, I told Joe that I was going to say that we have an ongoing kind of discussion and Joe always reminds me as often as possible that he is the most handsome elder here at remedy church. And I just, I just say, yes, you are, Jeff. What can I say? You can grow a beard. And I still barely shave once every three weeks. Um, so anyway, not that beards are awesome, but maybe they are. So, uh, m- my point is this, uh, he was a very handsome man. Uh, and this is not necessarily a strike against handsome or pretty people What I'm going to say, but normally handsome people are successful. This is just a, in general terms, uh, they're successful, uh, and they get things they desire. And Adam and fit into this mold. He was used to getting what he desired. David didn't stop him, uh, and so this was not good. And so, especially in Israel, it, uh, handsome people were commonly described as their leaders. David was handsome, etc. Uh, and so. <clears throat> He was thinking that since, you know, all these things that kind of happened for him in life uh, up until this point, that he just continued in the same kind of mindset and mold, and this is going to be fine. Uh, he also seeks poor counsel. In verses 7 and 8, he confers with Joab. Joab wasn't the greatest guy. I mean, he was David's army guy, but we'll see in a little bit that he double-crossed David a couple times. Um, he's going with Abathar, and Abathar also uh, he gathered people around him that wouldn't contradict him. He, he, he gathered people that are not going to say, you shouldn't do that. He just gathered, yes, men. He doesn't have... Uh, he doesn't have other people you can see that are listed there in verse 8. So instead of uh, Benaniah, he's got Joab. Instead of Zadok, he has Abathar. He doesn't even have a prophet, a man that speaks from God, telling him, hey, you should be king. Hint, hint. We've already said God appoints the kings and he's self-exalting himself. So he's seeking poor counsel as well. All these, by the way, are just lessons in self-exaltation. If you're selfish, if you're withheld discipline as a child, you seek poor counsel and you just assume that you have the position, then the these are all bad traits. Uh, and this is things that Adonijah is doing. And the last one you can see is that he assumes he has a position. We shouldn't assume that we have positions that we do not. He's doing the sacrifices, the customs necessary in order to try to make himself king. No one's telling it. He, he's doing it, by the way, at the serpent stone could this be, some commentators, could this be that Adonijah and the larger kind of picture of understanding of the Old Testament, could it be that he's setting himself as the serpent in this pericope and the set of verses Is he setting himself as the enemy? Is he playing the part as the deceptive one, the evil one? You know, like back in Genesis, uh, possibly that's what that means. That's what, you know, commentators are saying. Maybe this is what it, the, the writer's trying to help you see. But nevertheless, you can see in verse 9 and 10, he doesn't invite Nathan or Ben or Solomon there. Uh, And as I I said, Solomon's mentioned to set up the next section because someone else is in mind to be king. So we find uh, a a similar type story in the New Testament of a similar type character of Adonijah, uh, Diatrophes, who loves to be first. He loves to put himself first. He doesn't respect the leaders that God's put in place and he doesn't seek godly counsel. And so Adonijah type Characters, diatrophies type characters still even uh, strut around in churches today where they're self-exalting. And so we don't want that. We don't want to have those kinds of people that set themselves up as uh, self-exalting who have always gotten their way. And they're just assume that they have positions that they don't. Instead, the Lord... Uh, gives us qualifications to how leadership looks in churches and we want to be humble and the kind of people that love God's people and so those that's the first section that we see or from from this week is we have a self-appointed king Uh, after that uh, this next section won't take very long we have the servants of the king so in verse 11 through 27 you have the servants of the king uh, taking initiative to instead not pursue Adonijah's Self-exalting will, but God's will, and this is specifically going to be done through Nathan and Bathsheba. So it's really kind of three sections in eleven through twenty-seven. Conversation between Nathan and Bathsheba, saying, "Hey, uh, Adonijah is trying to be king. It should be Solomon. We should do something." And then conversation two, Bathsheba going to David uh, and saying, "Solomon should be king." And then as he's doing it, then. Nathan, or as she's doing it, Nathan coming in right after that saying, Hey, David, Solomon should be king. So that's kind of the three pieces. And you can see there, uh, go ahead and put up number, number three, there. servants of the king, the servants taking initiative to pursue God's will. Nathan to Bathsheba conversation and 11 through 14 Bathsheba to David and 15 through 21 Nathan to David right on the tail end of Bathsheba. Uh, but verse 11 this section, as I said, isn't too much, but, um, in verse 11 through 14, this particular conversation is crucial because it gets the ball rolling for Solomon to become King. Nathan's initiative saves Solomon's life because, uh, if Adonijah ascends to the throne, he's going to kill Solomon. He's just going to, there's no doubt about it. And so this, this initiative to want to do the will of God by Nathan saves Solomon's life and, uh, makes it, A sure thing that Solomon is going to be king. Nathan's initiative saves his life. More importantly, Nathan's initiative makes sure that the will of God is done. If there's there's an important thing for us to take away here is that the man of God, and, and you can say woman of God, is taking initiative to pursue the will of God. He's wanting to make sure he's not, even though we trust in a sovereign God, he's not passively standing by and just kind of letting events fall into place because as Christians, we still live in a real world where we still make real decisions. Even with a sovereign God, we still have real decisions that we, that we're living in and we're not to passively let events happen instead when we want the will of God to happen and it will, but nevertheless, we're supposed to be active agents taking part in pursuing the will of God to happen like Nathan. Nathan's doing this. He is, he is, there's, I mean, God could have done it other ways. He could have just struck down Adonijah. Like you're dead Adonijah. (laughs) Now Solomon's going to do it. Right. But he doesn't. God lets normal events happen by putting it into the heart of Nathan. Go, go, uh, nothing supernatural here. Go, go have conversations. And so Nathan does this, and it's clear that it's God's will for for Solomon to be king, and Nathan wants God's will to be done. Now, uh, you when you read this, you can think Nathan and Bathsheba are kind of being underhanded; they're they're doing back deal discussions you know back alley talks trying to persuade the king on his deathbed who's you know he doesn't even know what he's doing anymore he doesn't know what's happening he's he's in and out of coherence that's not what's going on um it's clear that it was god's will for solomon to be king and nathan knows this and so he's pursuing god's will even though as you read it, you're thinking, well, Nathan's just kind of like, hey, Bathsheba, uh, we'll talk this conversation. You and me and we'll get him and he'll have to, like, oh, I guess I'm going to make Solomon. That's not it at all. So don't read it that way that David's just, you know, this incoherent, babbling old man who has no clue what's going on. That's not the case at all. Um, so uh, verse 11, Nathan said to Bathsheba, the, so- the mother of Solomon, have you not heard that Adonijah uh, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. Now, therefore, come on, let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son. There it is. If Adonijah becomes king, you're dead, Bathsheba, and so is your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is it that Adonijah is king? Now, that is key. You won't find this conversation in Samuel. But it's clear that it did happen. At some point, there was an understanding that Solomon was supposed to be king. Nathan knew this. And he's going and saying, make, make it happen. Have the conversation. So it's clear that it's the Lord's will that Solomon would be king. And while you're speaking to the king, I'll come in and I'll also affirm those words. So... Bathsheba goes and reminds David. So Bathsheba went to him, to his chamber. He was very old. Bathsheba bowed, paid homage to the king. This is true. This is real stuff. She's not just, you know, it's like playing a little part. Uh, And the king said, what do you desire? And she said, my lord, he swore to your servant by the Lord God, saying, Solomon, shall, uh, your son shall reign after me. And he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah set himself up as king, or he's Adonijah's king. Although you, my lord, the king, did not know it. He sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance. And he's invited all the sons of the king, Abathar the priest, Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he didn't invite. Now, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you. David, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the king after him. Otherwise it it will come to pass when my Lord, the king sleeps with his fathers and that I and my Solomon will be counted offenders. This, this problem that's happening right here is because of David. As we talked about last week, David did a poor job of making plans, didn't announce who's going to ascend to the throne. uh, And all this is because David has not said to everyone, Solomon's supposed to be king. Now, as it's happening, 22, where she still speaking uh, with the king, Nathan, the prophet came in and they told the king, here is Nathan, the prophet. And uh, when he came in before my king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, the king, um, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? Like, did you say that Adonijah is supposed to be king? Because that's what's happening. For he has gone down this day and he has sacrificed oxen and and cattle and sheep in abundance and invited the king's sons and the commander of the army. That would be Joab and Abathar the priest. And behold, there's eating and drinking before him and saying, Long live Adonijah! But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and uh your servant Solomon, he didn't invite. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king? Have you not told your servants who should sit on the throne? So basically, he's, he's having this conversation with David saying, just set himself up. What are you going to do? There's a great application point that we need to understand. It's this. Um, uh, Dale Davis says this, that what, when we read this, he says, I don't think the text is grabbing me by the lapels telling me to become a Nathan. Like to be the, be the Nathan who's going to go say these things. But surely it implies that one serviced in Christ... Christ's kingdom has a real dignity about it and that one can never tell how crucial one's servant's labor may prove to be. Surely a Lord who remembers a cup of water handed to his people, Mark nine forty one, does not think lightly of our faithfulness, major or minor. The point that he's making is Nathan is being faithful to make sure that the Lord's will happens because it's not like things are happening that are going against God's will. And Nathan sees all of this happening and saying, Ananias just setting himself as King's not right. Like we already know that it's supposed to be Solomon. This is not God's will. I'm going to do what I can to say something to make sure that the Lord's will happens, which means it's the same for us. He's not saying, Hey, be Nathan, but he is saying as a person who loves Christ, You should have a desire to make sure that you are seeking for the Lord's will to happen in your own life, in your family, and in your church. And that you're taking the initiative to make sure it happens. And there is no major or minor. It's be faithful in that. Whether it's great or small, be the kind of believer that makes sure that the will of God is happening. So, servants of the king, making sure they're taking initiative to pursue God's will. Well, verse 28 through 53 is where God's will is done. You can go and put up number four. Uh, this is the sovereignly appointed king. We already read some of that when we first started. Uh, but King David answered. Now, uh, one, of the, one of the commentators pointed this out that in the verses 1 through 4, whenever we're seeing, you know, David's old and cold and barely breathing and seems like he's incoherent and doesn't know what he's talking about, all of a sudden he is, in verses 28, um, portrayed as clear-headed, Clear-minded and speaking as the king, and so uh, we shouldn't think we shouldn't think that Bathsheba and Nathan are trying to pull a fast one on him because the writer is not portraying David as out of his mind here. He's portraying David in his right mind, and therefore we know that Nathan and Bathsheba were doing the will of God. Verse twenty-eight. Uh, which we've already read the King David answered, called Bathsheba and she came into the presence of the King. She swore as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of adversity. I swore to you by the Lord God saying of Israel, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. Even so I will do this day. So there it is. David affirms what they're saying. You said Solomon would reign. Is it going to happen again? You won't find it in Samuel, but he's affirming it here. Yes, I did say it. Uh, It's going to happen. So Uh, Here in this particular section, the sovereignly appointed king, seeing God's will actually be done. Solomon is going to ascend to the throne, which, by the way, is a huge act of grace. Just an amazing act of grace. The same way that Solomon comes into the the throne, into the kingdom, um, is the same way that we come into the kingdom. All grace. All grace. And so here in 28 through 37, David makes Solomon king. Uh, And he, he even makes sure to see, uh, point out that, uh, he's faced adversity in his life and God's been faithful. And the King saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of adversity, David acknowledges that the Lord has, has brought him and delivered him out of adverse, difficult situations. And therefore he does the same for us. And then he says some things, um, Skip down to 32. David said, Call to me the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. So he's calling together the important people to make sure that, that they're there, they're present whenever Solomon is going to be anointed king so that it's official and everybody knows it. And he says, And the king said to them, Take with your servants of your Lord and have Solomon. Here it is Solomon, my son, uh, ride on my mule. This was a symbol of of the kingship that marked Solomon as the favored son. This is recorded as uh, a way to make sure that all of Israel know if they're riding on the king's mule, then uh, he's the one that should be king. And of course, this points towards um, Jesus where he will ride on a donkey in on um, the week before his death and that he is set up to be the king as well. And so... You have him telling to do that, telling him to say, long live Solomon. As you get down to verse 37, uh, and it says, As the Lord has been with my Lord Lord the king, even so he'll be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my uh, Lord King David. So that's verse 37 that helps us see that David makes Solomon king. Well, meanwhile... Uh, there's going to be a party. And so so Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him into Gihon. And there Zadok, the priest, took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet and all the people said, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. It just means it's super loud. Big party time. Israelites are like having it out. Woohoo! Yes. Solomon is king. Everybody's pumped up. Everybody's excited. They, they anointed him with oil. This is the denoting of the consecration of Solomon, setting him aside as the definite king. Uh, and one of the reflections that, uh, Dale Ralph Davis says this, um, the fate of the kingdom stirred David, the fate of, of the kingdom of Israel stirred David to make sure that he wanted to make sure that God's will was going to happen. He knew That it was the Lord's will for Solomon to be stirred. I mean, Solomon to be king. Nathan and Bathsheba came to him and spoke to him and say, the kingdom's going to fall apart, David, if you don't do something. And his heart was stirred for the kingdom to be saved. And therefore he did something. He says, the fate of the kingdom stirred David. And here's, here's the application question he asked. What stirs you? What stirs us? And then he says this. What stirs us reveals us. What stirs us? And he asks questions like football or your portfolio or home repairs or social media. Whatever stirs you, reveals you. David was stirred for the preservation of God's kingdom. What stirs us? That reveals us. What's going on in our heart? What is it that's, that causes you to have much zeal? It should be, obviously... Um, things for Christ. Whatever causes your zeal to come forth reveals to you and I what's really most important to us. And it should be that the things that stir us should be Christ. The things that stir us should be the gospel. The things that stir us should be the great commission. The things that stir us should be leading our families, um, leading our church to be the kind of church and family that want to um, make Christ's name known among the nations and lift his name up high. So uh, when you get to verse 41, there's been, there's been a sovereignly appointed king. But again, back over to Adonijah and his, his deal, he's, he's making the sacrifices. He's got people over there. And so he, he's having his own little party, right? Uh, and Ad, Adonijah 's going to get the news in verse 41. Jonathan's going to give it to him. Adonijah and all the guests were with him. They were finishing their feasting. And Joab heard the sound of the trumpet. And he's like, oh, what is this? This uproar in the city. I hear a trumpet. What's going on over there? And they hear it. And while he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan Runs up to the priests and Jonathan and Adonijah came in. Come in for your worthy man to bring good news. And Jonathan's like, "Well, I'm not going to necessarily bring good news." And Jonathan answered Adonijah, uh, you, it, "This is like in, in the show where the you hear the record scratch. <laughs> you know, it's like I got I got to tell you something bad." In um, verse 30 43, no, for our Lord King David has made uh, King so- so- has made Solomon the king, and that right there. Will end your party if you're Adonijah. Your party's, your happy time is completely over because he knows, oh no. Um, in the same way that I would have killed Solomon because I know that he would have tried to take the throne, now that he is the king, he's probably gonna do the same to me. Not only is the party over, but I'm a little bit nervous about my own life. So, record scratch, party's over, and he's super sad because uh, he's told, David's made Solomon king. And the king has sent him with Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, and Benaniah, and the Cherethites, and the Pelethites. And they have made him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up. there rejoicing. So that the city's in an uproar. And that is the noise that you heard. And they're like, oh, no. And then, even more, uh, in 46 through 53, Solomon is going to sit on the throne. Uh, you can see this Solomon sits on the royal throne, verse 46. Uh, that means it's, it's done deal. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David saying, may your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours, make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. And the king also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my eyes seeing it. So David is acknowledging that, he, that he's there. Uh, and then this is, this is pretty funny. So, all the people that are like partying it up with Adonijah, like, yeah, Addy, yeah, Addy, you're it. And then it says, verse 49, um, I'm sorry, I danced in front of you. Then it says, then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose and went to his own way. So, like, we're happy. And Jonathan's like, actually, it's Solomon. He's like, they're like, we love Solomon the whole time. We don't even know who Adonijah is. Who's that? Like they're running away and they're like, hope Solomon didn't have like a, uh, the, uh, big brother cameras at the party and they don't know that I was there. Um, so they're running away, uh, trying to get away. There's no such thing as big brother cameras back then. All right. So verse 50, then Adonijah feared Solomon as he should, uh, Adonijah feared Solomon because in the same kind of mindset that he had as he's coming to King that he would have killed Solomon. He just assumes the same is going to happen. But here's the cool thing. Solomon actually is like, you know what? If you stay in your lane, I won't kill you. Here it is. Um, And he arose and went and took off the horns of the altar. And this is just like, when you take the horns of the altar, it's like, Hey, uh, Solomon, this is my refuge. Like, don't kill me. I'm holding the altar. I'm holding the horns here. This is me saying, this is my safe place. Uh, I want to be in in the safe refuge. So he's holding it. Then it was told Solomon, behold, Adonijah fears you. And he's laid a hold of the horns of the altar saying, let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put me to death with the sword. And Solomon says, here it is. Here it is. If he shows himself a worthy man, not one of the hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, then he will die. So King Solomon sent and they brought him down from the altar and he came and he paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said, go to your house. There it is. Like, hey, You stay in your lane, you're really, really going to be the kind of guy that wants to follow me as king, you're good. Um, We're going to see that's not going to be the case, but nevertheless, Adonijah pays homage. And we're left wondering, as we're reading the end of chapter one, is this merely show on Adonijah's behalf or is it real? Is it real? So as we finish chapter one, what we're seeing is this, is that God is faithful to provide for his people what they need to take care of them and advance his plans. He has plans for Solomon to be king. He's going to provide for his people and make sure that things are going to happen. The exact same is true for us. True for us. God is faithful to provide for his church what they need to take care of and advance his kingdom. So everything that we need to advance his kingdom, to accomplish the great commission, just as the the preservation of the kingdoms being being held by God for uh, Israel, the advancement of the kingdom is made possible for us by the Holy Spirit, by God preserving his church. God is faithful to provide the church what we need. And as we see in verse 34, as Solomon rides in on David's mule on this side of the cross, it helps us understand that it's pointing us to King Jesus who would ride in on a donkey and everyone would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, as Tony Morita writes, Jesus was the rightful king who dispensed mercy, not to those who are worthy, but to every unworthy person that bows their knees to his lordship. That's all of us. Christ is extending not to worthy people as Solomon says, if he's worthy, I'll give him mercy. Instead, all of us who are in Christ were collectively massively unworthy. And he extends mercy and grace to us and says, you can be a part of the kingdom. So Jesus is by far the true and better Solomon to us. Jesus's throne is greater than David. Jesus's throne is greater than Solomon. So as we go into chapter two, now we're going to have king instructing king. And he's telling him to be a vigilant king. So verse or number five, you can go, David's going to instruct Solomon and he's going to give him some instructions. And you can see this. Um, and this is, this is awesome. I love this. Verse one, when David's time drew near, he commanded Solomon's son saying, I'm about to go the way of the earth. And here it is. Be strong and show yourself a man. Be strong and show yourself a man. David tells Solomon that he needs to be a man. What shows that Solomon is going to be a man? What is the the key ways to understand if you're a man? And David's going to tell him. Because we would think strength, success, conquering, power, dominance. That's how you show yourself a man. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. This is awesome. David tells us exactly what it is that shows yourself to be a man. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Be strong and show yourself to be a man by obeying God's word. Not, it's not, he's, he's talking to a king. It's not strength, success, conquering, power, dominance. It's you want to be a man, obey the word of God. Here it is. Verse three, be strong and show yourself a man. And then by keep the charge of your Lord, God walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commands, his rules, his testimonies, as written in the law. And when you do so that here's the benefit, so that you may prosper in all that you do, wherever you turn that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me saying, if your son pays close attention to their walk, to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness and all their heart and with all their soul. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And so don't miss this. God tells him in order for you to be a man, Solomon. It's not about conquering success and dominance and power. Therefore, for men in this room, you want to be a man. It's not about those things for us. And it's the same for you for being a woman of God. You want to be a man of God. You want to be a woman of God. Obey his word. Obey his word. Just yesterday at the men's breakfast, as Andy was sharing about evangelism, he told us that we do evangelism because God tells us to. We obey his word. That's the reason why. We need to be men and women that obey God. Solomon was told to obey God's word to reign as God intends. As Psalm 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stays in the ways of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but... Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. You want to be a man of God? You want to be a woman of God? Meditate on the word of God. Live in light of the scriptures. And as verse four says, David tells to Solomon, there's a double blessing for obeying God's word. Not only will you have personal blessing by obeying God's word, but you'll have a son that actually serves on the throne as well. He says it, that you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. There'll be a perpetual dynasty in Israel. If you will, Solomon, obey the word. Well, we know that's not the case, right? Um, So let's notice this. Okay. Let's notice this. This is, this is so awesome. Stability in the kingdom is not based on the strong army or their wealth of the country. Stability in the kingdom is based on obeying God's word. Like if we think of our country, how are we going to... Let's not do that. Let's just talk about Israel because we're not Israel. Um, If we think... How is Israel going to survive against other countries? We just think, well, they got to be strong. They got to have a lot of people. They got to have a good army. They got to have a good fighter. And he's telling them, stability in this kingdom of Israel is by being obedient to God. It's counterintuitive. It's not what we think. And therefore, I would just say this: stability for us as a church, as a people of God, comes through obedience to the Lord's commands. Obey His word. Live by His word. So you can see here, he tells him to be a vigilant king. He's king instructing king, and in two one through four, he says, <clears throat> um, "In two one through four, he says, obey God's word." But he also tells him, in five through nine, and this is more specific. Just reign as a wise king. Verse five: Moreover, you will know that the son, you know that Joab the son of. And five through nine, David's going to give some kind of specific instructions on, by the way, I'm at the close of my life, Solomon, and some of these guys did me wrong. Time for you to take care of them. It sounds godfatherish. It's not really. um, But nevertheless, just follow me. I'll I'll, I'll explain it. Moreover, you know that Joab, the son of Zeru, did to me and how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies. This means he did not do something good. Um, Abner, the son of Nair, this is the something that happened in second Samuel three and Amasa, the son of Jether. And that's in second Samuel 17, I think, um, whom he killed avenging in time of peace for blood that had not been shed in war. Basically Joab killed those two guys against the counsel of David. David had said not to, and he did anyway. Um, let me pick where I am. Avenging in time of peace, the blood that had been shed in war and putting blood on war and the belt around his waist and the sandals of his feet. And here, here's the council right here where we see B, raise, reign as a wise king. Act therefore, according to your wisdom. And he's going to tell him in verse nine again that you are a wise man. Now, this is pre-chapter three before, before Solomon asked for wisdom. So David already sees these shadows of amazing wisdom. Um, act therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. Uh, basically, Take out Joab. Um, but deal loyally with the sons of Bezeria, the Gilead. Let him be among those who eat at your table. For such loyalty, they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. That's in Second Samuel when he was fleeing around but there's also shimmy so whenever he was fleeing from his son absalom who was trying to kill him shimmy calls down curses on him uh shimmy the son of Gera, the benjamite from Baram, who cursed me with a grievous curse on that day and in that little p- story in second Se- samuel david like we're not going to kill him we're going to let him go but now he's kind of calling it back he's like i'm i'm about to go and so perhaps you can take care of that um and said so, so when i went to menheim uh when he went he came down to the jordan i swore by him uh, by the Lord saying, I will not put you to death by the sword. And he did now, therefore do not hold him guiltless for you are a wise man. You know what ought to do, what you ought to do and shall bring his gray head down with blood to shield. Now, when you were reading this, uh, we're seeing, well, let's, let's just stop here that he's telling him to reign as a wise King. Uh, you, you've got to be judicious in how you dispense justice. Uh, when we read some of this, and especially verse 13, the rest of the chapter, 13 through 46, is where Solomon is basically establishing the kingdom. Go ahead and put up the last one so we can see it. In verse 6, this is securing, establishing the king's kingdom. Now, I want to go ahead and show you the last verse so that you know this isn't just me uh, saying, oh, it's not Godfatherish." Like, So look at, look at verse 46, uh, the very last sentence. Um, you can see the, when he says the king... Commanded Ben and I, the son of Jehoiada went down and struck him down and died. But here it is. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So that means what we read in 13 through 46 are things that the Lord had so ordered in order to establish and um, secure Solomon's kingdom. So... There's some things that go down in 13 through 46 that are uncomfortable. There's no doubt about it. Basically, David's going to give instructions in 5 through 9 on some people, and the rest of the chapter is 13 through 46 is Solomon securing the kingdom by either eliminating or executing people. Eliminating just letting them be somewhere else and be super uh, kind of out of sight, or uh, executing them. Now, we should say this, and here's I want to make sure we hear this. This is troubling. There's no doubt about it. When you hear God's people just executing people, this is troubling. But we need to remember, um, we don't live in a theocracy, but this was a theocracy then. Therefore, the king is set up as the instrument of justice in this particular kingdom for Yahweh. So when the king is executing justice and... People are being eliminated or executed. They are acting on behalf of Yahweh at this particular time. And remember, no one's good. Everyone's evil. And so, including us, but we've just been redeemed by Jesus. And so whenever these things are happening by Solomon, these things are the hand of justice being shown and not the hand of mercy. And whenever the Lord decides to show the hand of justice or the hand of mercy, he's good either way because he's God. And so he can deliver justice sometimes and he can deliver mercy sometimes, whichever way he does, he's still good. And so in this particular time, as you read through chapter two, the hand of justice is going to come to some people and Solomon is acting as the arm of justice for Yahweh as we read. So just make sure, even though it's troubling, I get it. There's a bigger picture to understand, um, of what's happening here now. Uh, There's an order of elimination. Uh, We're not have to go really much much through them, but you've got uh, Adonijah eliminated in 13 through 25. Abathar, 26 through 27. He was just banished. Joab eliminated 28 through 35. Shimei eliminated 36 through 46. Um, So I'm just going to kind of, instead of reading them, I'm going to summarize here here where we are. So um, Adonijah, 13 through 24. At the very end of chapter one, we're wondering, is Adonijah uh, paying homage to Solomon real or not? Because he's like, you show yourself a worthy man, you stay in your lane, you won't die. In verse 13, Adonijah comes to Bathsheba and he's like, hey, uh, Solomon's mom. uh, You remember Abishag, the lady that kept King David warm? So I was wondering if I could have, remember it says she's really pretty. I was wondering if I could have her as my wife. I'd love to have her as my wife. And Bathsheba was like, uh, I mean, I'll talk to Solomon, I guess. Uh, so she goes to Solomon and she's like, hey, Solomon, uh, I got a request for you. He's like, whatever you want, mom. What is it? And she said, so Adonijah wants Abishag for his wife. And he's like, why? Here's what's going on. Anytime any lady has ever been in service of the king. Uh, they're either going to become now part of the wives of the concubines. Though David never laid with Abishag, she was still kind of considered one of the concubines. And so if any person can find a previous king's wife or concubine and make them their wife, now they have right to the kick to the throne. And so Adonijah is taking a back door trying to get to the throne by grabbing Abishag, making Abishag his wife, and now he's got like, he's got a surefire way to get to the throne and maybe dethrone Solomon and become king. So into verse chapter one, he's not staying in his lane. He's proven himself to be an unworthy guy, backdooring it through Solomon's mom. Solomon knows what's going on. So, um, he's asking for Abishag. This just means he's trying to be king again. And Abishag, uh, was, you know, one of David's, Concubines, but not really, but nevertheless was. And so uh, so he knows upon this happening, Solomon knows that the homage in chapter one fifty-three was insincere, and so he has to be eliminated. So he carries out the arm of justice and actually bends the, the arm of justice for Solomon. Ben goes and takes him out. I, Beniah, Beniah, I think is how you pronounce it. Um Beniah takes him out. Uh, he strikes him down and he dies. That's verse 25. Uh, then you've got Abathar. Basically, uh, Abathar was the priest that supported uh, Adonijah. And he's just like, priest, uh, peace, priest Abathar, you didn't support me. You're eliminated and you're a priest. I won't kill you. Zadok's taking your place. And so he banished him because he, su- he didn't support Solomon. He replaces him with his own his own guy, Zadok. He's gone. Verse 25 or 28, you get to Joab. Joab was David's army leader throughout his his kingdom. Uh, but he undermined David with Abner and Amasa. As I said in Second Samuel, that's a three in one and thir- 17 in the other. And more importantly, he supported Adonijah whenever Adonijah was t- trying to become the, the leader. And Solomon knew that it was time for him to be eliminated and replaced with his own army king, Benaiah. And so he sends out Benaiah. Beniah finds Joab. This must have been an epic battle, but nevertheless, Beniah wins. And maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just you know, you're done. Uh, but nevertheless, and he's replaced by Benaniah. So you've got Abathar, the priest, being replaced by Zadok. You've got Joab, the army guy, being replaced by Benaniah. And now you have Nathan serving as the prophet. And lastly, you've got Shimi or Shemai or however you want to pronounce it in verse 36. This is the guy who called down curses on David. And basically, he just told him, <coughs> um, well, the story is that when David fled from Absalom, he this guy Shimmy cursed David and David said, I promise that I'll spare you. I won't kill you. Uh, but David's not alive anymore. And so Solomon said, all right, Shimmy, you're confined to this one little city. If you stay in this one little city, you're fine. I won't do anything to you. But if you leave this city, it's your own funeral. You, you did it to yourself. Well, he loses some slaves. He gets on his deal and he runs off to try to get his slaves. And of course, you know, Solomon finds out and he's like, you, you chose to, to break the rule you're eliminated. And he fin- finishes him off, if you will. And that's where we see King Solomon um, shall be blessed and the throne of David is established. Now the king commanded Benaniah and he went out and he struck that shimmy down. And here it is, as we closing, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And so what we see here is that in verse, as we finish chapter two, now securing, establishing the king's kingdom. So we've gone from who's the king Well, it's not David anymore. Is it going to be Adonijah? Is it going to be Solomon? Boom, it's Solomon. Kingdom's established. We're rolling into chapter three. There's no division yet between Israel and Judah. It's it's a secure 12 tribes. Solomon is the king. That's who's the king. But we should realize that all of these things are but shadows of the reality. These stories... Really happen, but they're pointing us to a greater reality. This text highlights for us to see that there's a need for a perfectly just king and a better kingdom than this. Jesus will, like Solomon, uh, establish his kingdom, but he will establish the final kingdom by not eliminating human enemies, but eliminating our enemies, Satan, sin, and death. The enemies, Satan, sin, and death, have been defeated That happened at the cross. So this is all pointing us to help us see that Jesus eliminates our enemies and establishes His kingdom. They have been defeated. But one day when he comes back, they're going to be totally eliminated for us. And so... The gospel conclusion for us is to look at this as believers and say praise be to Christ who has established his kingdom by going to the cross, dying for all of us on the cross, forgiving us our sin, defeating Satan's sin and death for us. And thereby establishing the fact that we all get to come in as humble servants, brothers and sisters together, daughters and sons of the king and be a part of his kingdom forever. What an amazing thing that Christ has done for us on the cross the second response is this. If you're not a believer, here's the question. Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus, is the perfect Christ your king? Is he it? He's the perfectly righteous, infinitely wise king. No one is like him. He's majestic, merciful, and eternal. Make him your king. Because it was written long before he came that he would come. And this is how it is. I'm going to read this and then we'll conclude with this. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We read it at Christmas, but this is the perfect verse to conclude this section with. For unto us a child is born to us. We'll do this. We're talking about King Jesus here. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Your amazing word that points us to you all, all the time, over and over, and shows us that you are our king. That who has established his kingdom forever by sacrificing himself on the cross. And we run to the horns and hold on and say, we are only found safe and secure here because of Christ. Christ. And now we have refuge from death because of Jesus on the cross. You are the perfect, gracious, and just king for us. Thank you so much. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.